So the sermon series is called Friends. If you would like the notes from this sermon series, there's an email address that you can use right there, info at bridgechurch.cc. As I tell you every week, and you might be tired of it, but the new attenders and first-time attenders, they really appreciate this kind of information. Uh, if you want to communicate with us, if you have questions, uh, what, however we can help you, that's a great email address to use. We check it every single day. We'll respond to you very quickly on that. But again, if you'd like the sermon notes of this series or any message you hear here at the bridge, use that email address. If you're going to put something on social media today about the service, then friends, hashtag friends, so we can all see what you wrote. We really, really are happy you're here today. Let's get into this fifth and final message in the sermon series. We've been examining from a biblical perspective what God has to say about friendship. And we have just um, emphasized to you the importance of this. You know, again, and I know this is something I've said several times, but when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he said the greatest one is that we would love him with all our heart, with everything that's in us. He said the second commandment is like unto the first one. In other words, the second one is as a human, as important to you as the first one, then that is love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know that if you've got it right with God and you've got God first in your life, then you can love others the way you're supposed to? How many of you know it takes supernatural ability to love some people? You need some God power, some Holy Ghost power up in here, you know, and you go, yes, I love them, yes. You know, and so sometimes I'm sure people feel that way about loving me, and uh, we just thank God that He does enable us to love uh, in a supernatural way. And you might be here today saying, Pastor, you know, the series has been helpful. I've learned some things, but Pastor, how do I get the right friends in my life? How how do I I I want those people in my life? I desire those people in my life. So. So what are some things I can do to make sure I'm attracting the right people? Now, you know there's balance to what we're preaching here. There's balance to what we're teaching. When you say attract the right kind of people into your life, you're not talking about excluding anybody. But you're talking about that close relationship. Remember we talked about how the Bible teaches us that you really can't have a lot of really close relationships because you're just not capable of handling a lot of really intimate relationships. You're only going to have a few of those. The Bible taught us all through this series that a really, really good friend is a very rare thing. And we talked about how Jesus, as our example, he loved everybody, but he had 12 and out of the 12, he had three. And out of the three, he had one he called my beloved. And so we see his example in that to us. We love everybody. We interact with everybody. We serve everybody we can. We, be, we are a blessing to everybody we can be a blessing to. But you're only going to have a few really intimate friends. And that is a very important truth for you to remember. So in this final message... I want to give you some practical steps that will take you to a place where you begin to attract people into your life who you can have that intimate, close relationship with, and that person's going to help you be your best self. 
Now, here's what we talked about in the previous messages. We talked about the qualities of a true friend. And the qualities of a true friend are this. They love unconditionally. They are faithful in their love. They are sacrificial in their love. And they are purifying in their love. Unconditional. They have no conditions attached. They love you no matter what. Faithful in their love, no matter how bad things get, no matter how good things are in their life or in your life, their love is always faithful. You can always count on their love. And then we talked about how they're willing to sacrifice. You know, true friendship is going to cost you something. That's why you'll see a lot of people not have true friendships in their life because they don't want to pay the price. Because when I decide and you decide that we're going to be really close friends and we're going to share the deepest parts of our heart, we're going to hold each other accountable, it's costly. It costs time, energy, it costs compassion, it costs forgiveness, it costs a lot of things. So you've got to be sacrificial to be a true friend. And then finally, we talked about last week, purifying. A good friend is somebody who's going to help you be your best self. And we went through a series of evaluation questions so you could evaluate the current relationships in your life. You know, like, how do I feel after I've been with this person? Is this person helping my marriage or hurting my marriage? Is this person uh, causing me to want to be closer to God or further away from God? Is this person uh, helping me to have good relationships in my family or are they pulling me away from my family? So we talked about all those things in the past messages. So what we want to do today is we want to give you the first step in being able to attract the right kind of people in your life. If you haven't done this, this is the first thing you need to do. You need to, you need to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. You need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to turn away from your old life. Remember that song we sung this morning? I don't want to, be, I don't want to go back to my old life you got to turn away from that old life. You know what repentance, the word repentance means, it's a military term, it means about face. It means you're going in one direction, you do an about face, you're going in another direction. That's what conversion is. That's what true conversion is. You've got your back to God, all of a sudden you realize who God is, you realize who Jesus is, you realize what the cross did for you, what the empty tomb did for you. You realize that the direction you're heading in is not good. It is not the right direction. And you convert. After you have the information, the Holy Spirit deals with your heart, and you make a decision to turn and say, from this day on, I will follow Jesus. That's the step you need to take. You need to trust him as your Savior, and he has promised and we'll see it in the scripture today. Even more clear, you're going to see that he's your friend. So what we want to do this morning very quickly is we want to ask, does Jesus meet the criteria that we've laid out in the other sermons? Number one, is the love of Jesus unconditional? We already know the answer to that. We know that it is, but let's substantiate that. Let's support that. Now, today you're going to need your Bible. You're going to need your Bible. So if you got it on your phone or you got it on your app or who's got an old school Bible here today? Anybody got an old school Bible? Who's got a big Bible? I like big Bibles and I cannot lie. There's a big Bible right there. Awesome, man. And um, 
So does Jesus love unconditionally? Now, here's your scripture references. And again, I'll send you the notes. And in the notes, I have all these scriptures written out. But there are so many scriptures I wanted to use today. If I'd have put them all on the screen, it would have just taken a lot of slides to do that. And that puts an undue stress on our media team. So you look these up, you write these down, or you get these notes, use the email address, and you look these up for yourself. I'm using the uh, New Living Translation today, Isaiah 53 and 7. Now this is the Old Testament, so Jesus hasn't come to Bethlehem yet. Jesus hasn't been born in Bethlehem yet. How many of you know, though, that Jesus being born in Bethlehem wasn't the beginning of Jesus? Jesus always has been, Jesus is, and Jesus will always be. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And that's where a lot of people struggle. They say, well, I thought the Father was God. And I've heard somebody say the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father. Everybody say it with me. God the Father. God the, God the three ways God expresses himself as a father, the son, the Holy Spirit, but we serve how many gods? One God. We're not polytheistic. We are monotheistic. We serve one God, but he expresses himself in three ways. You say, that's weird. I don't understand that. Well, he's just like you, or I should say, you're just like him. Because the Bible says we are made in the image of God, and that means not that you look like God. Somebody say hallelujah. Because <laughs> I know you're looking at your neighbor going, really? God looks like that? No. Listen, here's what that means. It means that as God expresses himself in three ways, we express ourselves in three ways. We have a body, we have a mind, and we have a spirit. And the spirit part of us, when you accept Christ, that's where Christ comes in. He comes in and takes his seat, his rightful seat, on the throne of your heart. So when you are converted, here's actually what you're doing. When you're converted, when you become a true Christian, a true believer, I know a lot of people say they're a Christian, but this is true conversion. When you kick everything else off the throne of your heart and you put Jesus there, that's conversion. And when Jesus takes up his rightful place on the throne of your heart, as you grow and as you develop and as you mature, <coughs> excuse me, and as you pray and as you read your Bible and as you go to Bible study and as you listen to messages that are Bible-centered and Christ-centered and as you go to your life group and as you develop on your own in your private time, all of a sudden your mind begins to think like him and your hands begin to serve like him. But it starts here at conversion. What does Paul call new Christians? What does he call them? Blank in Christ. What? Babes. Babies. So it takes a while for that when, when you become that new Christian, that baby Christian, as you develop, as you grow, as you mature, you begin to think, perceive, serve the way he does. So let's go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 7. And this is one of the proofs of Scripture, is that what is prophesied so clearly in the Old Testament comes true in the New Testament. And it says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed. How many of you, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know that's true? He was, everybody say it, he was oppressed. He was treated harshly. And notice this, yet 
though he was oppressed for our sins, though he was treated harshly for our sins, yet he never said a word. His love was not conditional. His love for us was not based on what he would go through for loving us. He never said a word. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. So his love for us is unconditional. John three sixteen. For God so the, of which you are a part, that he gave his only begotten son. His love is unconditional. <clears throat> Romans 5 and 8, Paul wrote, uh, Paul was in prison. Paul wrote in Romans 5 and 8, God, and I know this isn't coming up on the screen. You guys are kind of used to that. It's going to do you good to look in your Bibles today. God showed his great love for us. How did he show his great love for us? By sending Christ to die. And this goes right along with the choir song for us. And he did it. And he didn't wait till we got cleaned up. He didn't wait till we got straightened out. He didn't wait till we got our life together. While we were yet sinners, he died for us because the love of Jesus is what? Unconditional. Number two, is the love of Jesus faithful? This is what we talked about in the series. And there are many scriptures I could have used here, tons of scriptures. Let's look at Psalm 73. Um, let me just ask you guys something. And be honest now, be honest, because if you don't raise your hand here, I'm probably going to call you out to the altar because you're going to be lying when I ask this question, all right? How many of you as a Christian, I'm sorry about this cough. How many of you as a Christian have looked around the world, looked around your life, looked around your community, and there's this guy up the road, and he doesn't go to church, he doesn't love the Bible, he hates preaching, he, hates, uh, he talks bad about the church, talks bad about God, talks bad about the Bible, he curses, I mean, he really lives in a godly lifestyle, and everything that dude touches turns to gold, and you're trying to serve God, and you're trying to go to church, and you're trying to be here early on Sunday so you can serve the children, work in the parking lot, serve in media, and, uh, you know, you just love Jesus, and you're praying, and you're in your life group, and you're learning how to tithe, and you're learning how to serve, and you're learning how to give, and you're becoming that man of God, that woman of God God wants you to be, and you want to please God, and you know you're not perfect, but you really are, are, are seeking Him to give you strength in the Spirit to please Him and live a lifestyle that's pure and holy and righteous to uh, in his sight, and everything you touch, it breaks. How many of you? How many of you have looked at that and not said what was really on your mind, what you would have really loved to have said? Well, there's a whole chapter in the Bible devoted to that. And it's Psalm 73. In the first 16 verses of Psalm 73, this guy is a Christian. He is whining. He is complaining about what this wealthy guy who doesn't love God, how he just, I mean, even when it came time for this guy to die, he seemed to die in peace. He seemed to die with a smile on his face. And here's this Christian guy. And I mean, this guy's got a four chariot garage, you know, and he's got this little donkey out in the barn. And he's wondering, what is going on? What is going on? And he's really complaining about it. And he's really whining about it. And the reason that he lost the right perspective in Psalm 73 is because he got away from God. How many of you understand that when you get away from God, you will get messed up in your thinking? 
You're going to get messed up in your perception. You will not discern things correctly, and it will cause you to get bitter, cause you to get angry, will cause you to get upset because you're over here going, I'm doing the best I can. This guy is, you know, against God. He touches everything, it turns to go. I touch everything, it falls apart. What's going on? And if you don't get right with God, you will get bitter, and you will get, you, how many of you have met people who go, I'm a Christian, and boy, in about five minutes, you knew they were an angry Christian. I love that comic strip of the guy who is at the gates of heaven and he's standing there and, and the, the, I guess it's St. Peter. There's no scripture for that, but we always say that. And he looks at that guy and goes, you know, you're a Christian, but you didn't get the not being a jerk about it part. You didn't get that right. How many of you get that? You don't understand that. But in chapter 73, when he gets to verse 17, this is what he says. He said, but when I went into the sanctuary of God, I don't really know what that means. I've studied that. It could mean he went to some place of worship where other believers, I don't know where he went. It could be that just in his private time, he got with God. He quit whining, he quit complaining, and he realized, I'm not where I need to be with God. And so he closed, went in the closet and closed the door and said, I'm not coming out till me and God get together. So he says, when I got right with God, when I got my perspective right with God, then my perspective got right. When I got my relationship with God right, my perspective got right. This is really, really important because some of you are struggling with this. Some of you are struggling because somebody's not healed yet. Some of you are struggling because somebody can't get a job and they've been praying and fasting. And you're, you're, you know, you were patient in the beginning, <clears throat> but now you're at a place where you're going, I said, you know, when you pray. And so you're kind of getting to that place where you want to throw in the towel, you want to give up, you want to, you want to start complaining you're throwing in little thoughts and little comments like, I don't know what God's doing. I can't figure out what God's up to. And, and you can feel yourself getting upset about that. And so this is a word to you. The Bible says when this guy got right with God, then his perspective with God got right. And when his perspective with God got right, here's what he says. And there's a lot of teaching here. But he basically says, I understood where I was going to end up as a Christian and I understood where they were going to end up as one who re was resisting the ways of God. And when I understood that in the end, what matters most is what's going to happen in the end. Isn't that right? What matters most, guys, and I know, I know it's hard, but what matters most is not what happens now. What matters most is what happens at the end. And so he said, I got a right perspective with God he said, I thank him for that. But I want to show you a couple of verses in the middle of that, verses 22 and 23, because he's describing himself to God, and he says, God, back when I was a jerk Christian, and I was fussing at you, and I was whining and complaining, he says, I was so foolish, and I was so ignorant. He said, I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. As a matter of fact, when you do dig into that right there, he's, he's basically saying, I probably sounded like a, 
dog howling at the moon like he's mad at the moon for some reason. I'm like a senseless animal. He said, yet, when I was mad, when I was bitter, when I was angry, when I was fussing at you, when I was whining and complaining, he says, you still kept your hand on me. I still belong to you. You were still holding my right hand. You know there have been times in your life, I know there have been times in my life when I didn't like how life was going and I felt like I was doing the best I could as a Christian and I was upset and I, was, I didn't really say it because I was kind of brought up, you don't ever really say anything, you just kind of keep it in. As long as you keep it in, it's fine. Anybody brought up like that? You know, and, and so, so I would just feel myself getting bitter. I would feel myself leaving my private time with God off. I, I, would, I would find myself just going in the wrong direction, drifting away from God. But God kept on holding on to me. He never let go of me. Reminds me of something I saw at a parade one time. The, uh, it wasn't a parade, actually. It was, a, um, it was before the parade when the traffic was going by and we were waiting for the parade to start, Christmas parade in Raleigh. And this mom was standing there, and her little boy wanted to cross the street. Well, it wasn't time to cross the street. And the parade hadn't even started. He was getting antsy. He wasn't there. Cars were at a normal speed going through there. And he was pulling at her, wanting to get away because he felt like she was depriving him of something. And she, he was jerking his hand. And I remember that mama just holding on, buddy. And I thought, little boy, you better be glad you were in a public place. How many of you ever heard the reference, some of you old school people, jerk a knot? <laughs> Anybody ever heard that? So I know you young moms and dads, calm down. My mama would say, <clears throat> with her teeth together, her lips were moving, but her teeth were together like this. And she was a pastor's wife, so she would say to me, in the voice of God. <laughs> if you don't stop, I'm going to, what? Jerk a knot in you. <laughs> now, the reason I knew that was true is because she had done it. In the past, and that's another little lesson on discipline. Your children don't believe you anymore. <laughs> They don't believe you anymore. Mm. I need to move on. But the point is, when we're jerking our hand away from God because we're upset with something in our life we don't like, he's a faithful friend. He don't let go and go, well, go on out there then. He knows after a little while we'll get our right mind. He knows after a little while we'll come in repentance. And he never takes his hand off us. Hallelujah. How, how many of y'all would have been run over by the devil already if, he, if you'd have jerked your hand away from God? You'd already been out there and gotten run over by the enemy. Uh, Romans 5, 8 again, this time in the Amplified Bible, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us. How? By the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, showing us faithfulness. Hebrews uh, 13 and 5, for God has said, I will never fail you. I will never 
forsake you. I don't care what it feels like that you're going through in your life right now. He has not failed you, and he has not forsaken you. Now, he may be allowing you to be tested and tried, but I promise you in the end, victory, victory is coming. You're going to overcome. You're going to win it. Now, some, sometimes the battle isn't going to be won till we leave this world, but we win in the end. And the people said, and then we discover that he's a sacrificial friend. Let's go to Isaiah 53 again, but this time let's look at verse 5. He was wounded and crushed, not for anything he did, but for our sins. Did Jesus pay a price because he said he wanted to be our friend? Did Jesus sacrifice anything because he said in John 15, 15, he wanted to be our friend? Yes. He was wounded so that we could be his friends. He was crushed so that we could have that relationship with him. The Bible goes on. He was beaten that we might have peace. And the only way you can have peace is to be united with God. There is peace nowhere else. You have to be united with God the Father. That union was broken in the Garden of Eden. It can only be built back and restored by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bridge. Great name for church, by the way. Jesus is the bridge to God. He was beaten that we might have peace. He sacrificed for our peace. He was whipped. He sacrificed that we were healed. And a lot of times we want to make that all about physical healing. And I don't have any doubt that that certainly is a part of his work on the cross. But our spiritual healing is far more important than any physical healing we will ever receive. And I'm not putting down physical healing. And I'm not saying that God doesn't heal today. But I will tell you something, that you are saved that you are healed spiritually, that you are made right with God through the person of Jesus Christ is far more important than you would be healed physically. We might celebrate physical healing in the church a lot more than we celebrate salvation healing. Amen, I'm telling you. We'll talk for months about a miracle of healing of the body. Ladies and gentlemen, even then that old body's going to give out. And I believe in physical healing and I'd celebrate but we need to celebrate at a whole nother level when somebody is healed spiritually and they find Jesus as their personal Savior. That's good preaching right there. I didn't even know I was going to say that. I liked it. <laughs> and then number four is Jesus a purifying friend. You know the answer already. Let's go to Galatians. We're just going to walk through Galatians a little bit here and just pull out some scriptures. This is Paul talking to the church at Galatia. And he's talking to the Jewish people here in particular, but it relates to us as well. And yet we Jewish Christians know that we become right with God not by doing what the law commands, but by faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot get up every morning, have a sheet of over 600 laws and rules that are recorded in the Bible and get up early enough to go over all those to make sure you don't mess up on any that day. If, we had, if that's what it took for us to go to heaven, none of us would make it. 
We are made right with God the Father and receive our entrance into heaven because we have a personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who purifies. It is not obedience to the law that purifies. It is Jesus who purifies. But let me tell you something. When you get right with Jesus, you will love purity. You will love the law. You will love what God has written in his word. He says, and yet we Jewish Christians know that we become right with God, not by what the law commands, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be accepted by God because of our faith in Christ and not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be saved by obeying the law. Galatians 2.16. Go to the next chapter, Galatians 3.13. First part of that verse, we're talking about Jesus is a purifying friend. Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Listen to this. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He purifies us. He is the purifier. It is not what we do. It is Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus plus nothing. Galatians 3.22. The scriptures have declared that we are all prisoners of sin. Listen to this last line of this sentence. So the only way, I didn't say that Jesus is the only way. God said Jesus is the only way. And since God said it, I believe it. Now I know the world out there goes, oh, that is so narrow-minded. So narrow-minded. Well, on the last day, you won't think it's narrow-minded. You'll wish you were on the straight and narrow Jesus is not a way. He says he is the only way. So the only way to receive God's promise is to what? Believe in, trust in, receive, surrender to, make Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Let's go to Galatians 6, 14. God forbid that I should boast about anything I've done God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because on that cross, my interest in this world died long ago <laughs> because of that cross. Because of that cross, my interest in the world died long ago. And I love this. And the world's interest in me is long dead. I love that, man. I love that. I love for the world and that anti-Christ and anti-God system to go, oh, he's an old fuddy-duddy. Amen. Amen. Me being that old fuddy-duddy. And I write that down. That's Hebrew for holy. <laughs> Me being that old fuddy-duddy that the world says, you know, uh, I'm a party pooper and all of that. Uh, hey, man, you're not only known by your friends. You're known by those who don't like you, too. I want to be criticized for the same things Jesus was criticized for, don't you? See, holiness will not get you closer to Jesus. Some of you think this. Some of you think if I do that right and do that right and I give and I serve and I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this, then I'll be a better Christian. Holiness doesn't get you closer to Jesus. Get this now because it will change your life. 
Jesus gets you closer to holiness. See, we don't, we don't serve in the parking lot to get right with God. We serve in the parking lot because we are right with God. Are y'all with me? We don't, we, don't, we don't give our tithe. We don't give our finances to the church so God will like us. He already likes you. He loves you. He told you in John 3, 16, before you ever wrote a tithe check, he loved you so much, he gave his life for you. He loves you. You're not going to make him love you anymore. So why do you tithe? Why do you give? Why do you in, invest in the kingdom of God? Because you love him. Because you're right with him. The longing for right living, the, the longing, the desire to please God, the, 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 the desire to do right comes from a deep relationship with him. And a lot of us struggle with a whole lot of temptation and a whole lot of battles we wouldn't have to struggle with if we would come in close instead of pulling away from God all the time and trying to see if we can hold on to God here and hold on to the world system here. If we would just let go of that and embrace him fully, you would have a, there would be a change in your longings, your yearnings, your desires, things that you keep fiddling around with and playing around with, that's keeping that consternation in you all the time. Just let go of that and give God everything. It'll change who you are. It'll change how you perceive. It'll change how you think. Stuff you used to love, you won't even love it anymore. Not Krispy Kreme. You're going to always love that. But listen, <laughs> there's, stuff, there's, there's stuff that you've been going, I wish I didn't, I wish I could let that go. You can't let that go, but you can't let that go till you fully embrace him. He is the purifying friend. He's the one who empowers you to live right in these last days. Jesus loves unconditionally. He loves faithfully. He loves sacrificially. He loves in a way that purifies you. And I want you to meet him. If you don't know him, I want you to meet him. I want you to come to him in this service. I want you to surrender your life to him in this service. His enemy said he is a friend of sinners. And I thank God for that because that means he loved me. He loved me before I loved me. He loved me before I was lovable. I love this little saying. It says, he doesn't love me because I'm lovely. I'm lovely because he loves me. He doesn't love me because I'm valuable. I'm valuable because he loves me. He doesn't change me so he can love me. He loves me so he can change me. That's good stuff right there. That is a mind changer. You know what that is right there? That's a, that's a shift in mindset. Because here's what a lot of churches believe and a lot of Christians believe. I'm lovely uh, because I love him. I'm valuable because I love him. Um, he changes me so he can love me. No. No, he, you're, he, he doesn't love us because of we're lovely. We're lovely because he loves us, valuable because he loves us. He loves us to change us. The key to you having true friends in your life is for you to have Jesus as your friend. I want you to follow this line of thinking. Without Jesus Christ in my life, I'm not at peace with God, my creator. Amen? When I'm not at peace with God, my creator, I'm not at peace with myself. When I'm not at peace with myself, I can't be at peace with others. So that makes it impossible for me to consistently attract the friends 
kind of friends God wants me to have in my life. When I met the Lord Jesus, I met someone who loved me even though I rejected him as Savior and Lord. He still loved me. When I met him, I met somebody who knew all my secrets, and he loved me anyway. When I met Jesus, I met somebody who loved me though I was far from complete. I was very incomplete. I was selfish. I was insecure, but he loved me. My faith, listen, my faith in Jesus, when I trusted him to become my Lord and Savior, set me on a path to becoming the person my creator wants me to be. What kind of faith are we talking about? We're talking about a faith that understands and believes that God accepts me. There's where the rub is with so many of you. You're trying to get to a place where God will accept you. Listen to me. He already does. You're accepted in him. You say, but you don't know what I did last night. It's a miracle I'm even here to. It doesn't matter what you did last night. Listen, in the midst of what you were doing last night, that would make you blush to bring it up right now. In the midst of that, he loved you and accepted you as you were right then if you come to him in humility. He accepts you. He accepts you. Not because of who you are or what you've done. He just loves you for you. And when I'm able to accept his love and his forgiveness, now I can love me. And it's always right to love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves me. This I know, and how do I know for the? So if Jesus loves you, then you can love. You can love you. And when you love you, then you can love others. You say, wait a minute. I've been going to church all my life. They've always told me, don't love yourself. Don't love yourself. Well, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I want you to love your neighbor. He said, I'm going to give you an example on how to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor the way you love. So obviously he wanted you to love yourself, but he wanted you to love yourself in light of who you are in him. Now when I talk about loving yourself, I'm not talking about you going home, getting in front of the mirror in the bathroom and singing how great thou art. I'm not talking about that. That's a totally different thing. I'm talking about the fact that when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you understand that you just became a, a family a royal, of royalty. You became a royal blue blood. The Bible talks about this, the priesthood. And, and we became royal blue bloods. We are now in his family. I love what Jesus said. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Jesus said that about you. Jesus said that about me. So knowing this, that Jesus views me this way, I can love me for the first time. And because I can now love me based on him in me, who he is in me, I can love you as I love myself. And because I love you as I love myself, then you can love me because all that selfish ugliness is gone. And that's the basis for having a friend and being the kind of friend that attracts the kind of people God wants in your life. Let me give you three more things. The first one was to accept Jesus, and that's where I spent most of my time. So I'm going to click right through these. The next thing in becoming a friend to somebody is you got to take the initiative. Take the initiative. Number three 
is take the initiative. You have, the, or number two, you have the right kind of friends in your life when you take the initiative. Let me talk about that for a minute. To put it simply, if you want to be a friend or if you want a friend, you got to be a friend. And I see a lot of this. I see a lot of people who go, well, I don't have any friends. Nobody wants to be my friend. And I remember that scene in Everybody Loves Raymond. Y'all, how many of y'all remember that show? That's funny, wasn't it? And I remember he was telling his wife, and she was always fussing at him and stuff, and he, he was, they were talking about, you know, being affectionate toward one another. And she said, you never hug me. And he said to her, it's hard to hug a porcupine. So you got to take the initiative. If you want a friend, you have to be a friend. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and 7, you reap what you It says in Galatians 6, 38, give first, give, and it will be given unto you running over. Many people are waiting for someone to come and be a friend to them, but that is not how it works. You want love, give love. I'm going to have friends when I can extend my love to them and I know I'm going to get love back. Then you're never going to have many friends because of Having friends, getting friends is risky business. I like this little poem. It says, I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend and friends were everywhere. How many of you read the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People? I know that's not a Christian book, but that's an excellent book on how to treat people. Dale Carnegie said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming really interested in other people than you can make in two years by trying to get other people to be interested in you. Good word right there. Number three, number three. Not only do you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, which is first and paramount. And number two, not only do you take initiative, but you got to be practical. Be practical. Be the right person, be in the right places, take the initiative, break the ice, find someone that you have common interests with, and begin to talk and share with that person. And again, I want to reemphasize this. When you, when you reach out to somebody, it's a big risk. It's like you guys out there who are really nervous about dating or asking a girl out on a date. Well, you're never going to date her unless you ask her out. You might get the big no. You might get the big shun. She might break your heart, but you're never going to have any date with her until you risk it. And so that's how we are with our friends sometimes. We want people to come to us, and the Bible talks about us making the first move. Even God said uh, the person who will draw near to me, then I will what? Draw near to him. I mean, when you risk it, you might go unnoticed, you might be embarrassed, it might not work at first, but you have to take that risk and you can handle that risk now because Christ is in you. You've obeyed number one in this list and you've got Christ in you so you can handle it. Life groups is a great place to meet new people in a more intimate setting. And we would love to help you get in a life group. Don't be a poser. Be yourself. Be your real self. Don't force it. Don't try to make it happen overnight. There are no real instant friendships. Don't do an overkill. You'll drive that friend away. Just let it happen. Don't make unreasonable demands. Don't smother your new friend. And you're going to find out if you'll do this, God will give you friends. And then finally, very easily, got to mention it though, 
You're not going to have the kind of people in your life you want until you get on your face and pray. You got to pray about it. You got to put it in your journal. You got to work that journal. You got to put it in your journal. You got to go back there this morning at the table with the prayer request thing and you got to write friends and go stick it on the board and you pray over it and then other people who come in and we pray over these uh, um, stickers on the wall. You'll see them back there. Go back there and pray over those. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 7, keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. Philippians 419, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And friendship is a basic need of every human being. And there's a way to have good friends in your life. Amen? Let's all stand together, would you?